Tonight we're going to be talking about church polity. Now, I appreciate Brandon's prayer about us going to God's word, but um, tonight we're not going to God's word. Um, we, are, we are looking at the different types of polity. And I say that because Pastor Jim is going to be going to God's word um, as he offers the biblical defense for the type of of polity that we are following here at Super Road Baptist Church. But this particular night is simply to explain what is polity and what are the various types of polity a church could have, and then it will lead us to which is the one that we follow. And from that, uh, Pastor Jim will come later and give the biblical reasoning behind that particular Um, choice that we make in our church body. So church polity, when we hear that word polity, probably the first thing you think is politics. And nobody like, well, I guess a lot of people like politics, um, but we kind of love to hate politics, right? So when you think of that, you're thinking, oh, politics, you know, greasing this and bribing that and trying to compromise on this. No, polity is just structure. So we could change this to church organizational structure. So if you want to think of it that way to get the dirty politics word out of your brain, um, we can do that. And there are three, historically, there are really only three categories that we have in church polity. So this could be a very short meeting, depending on how your questions follow in the Q&A time. Um, The church that would... Most likely, you would first think about with our first model of polity is the Episcopal Church, the Episcopalians, because it is called the Episcopal model. And what I'm showing you here is basically how that particular. Let's see, do I have my little red thing? Yes. Here we are, congregation. So all churches have a congregation. So in all of these polities, you're going to have a congregation. What the polity shows you or the structure shows you is what is the hierarchy of authority in that particular church. So in the Episcopal church, or in I should say the Episcopal model, because it's not simply only the Episcopalians who follow this model, you have your congregation and then you have the rector. So, so far, you can call Pastor Jim the rector. Um, And typically, there's one rector. And I guess I should also throw another caveat. This is going to be full of caveats tonight. Um, While this is the model, you can go into any type of denomination, and there are going to be variations. So this is a simplistic explanation of what they are. So could there be a church with Episcopal model that has multiple rectors? Yes, but the model is set up and the largest church that is an Episcopal model is the Roman Catholic Church. So you would have the congregation and the priest. Now, we're so far, we're sounding a little bit like our church, right? We have a congregation and then there's the preacher. Open the church and there's the steeple, you know, the people. Um, (laughs) 
we have the congregation and the leader, the rector, but the authority does not stop there. The rector, in a lot of cases, he doesn't even choose whether or not he's at that particular congregation. Someone else chooses that he's going to go and be the preacher or the parson at that particular church. The authority doesn't stop with the congregation. There's another level of authority. And in this case, it would be the bishops. So what you see are down here, you've got two different groups of three churches. And these would form what I can never say the word like a diocese. Um, where you have a group of churches that are in a particular organization together, and there's a bishop who oversees that. So the rectors answer to the bishop. And then, obviously it follows from there, the bishop then answers to the archbishop. And so in the Roman Catholic Church, the archbishop is the pope. And so he is the highest authority and everything comes down from there. And also, this guy and the organization that he oversees owns everything down here. So the Roman Catholic Church, I think someone said, they must be the largest real estate holder in the world. (laughs) Because all of those Roman Catholic churches are owned by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, So you can imagine all the power then, you know, follow the money. Um, All the power goes back to this archbishop. So that's the Episcopal model. Um, If something happens in this church and the congregation doesn't like what the rector did, they can then go around the rector to the bishop and use that as an authority down to the rector. So It's not all a bad thing. There's some accountability there where you aren't going to have a rector running around just doing what he wants to do because he answers to another authority above him. And that could be the bishop and then on forward up to the archbishop. So does that make sense? Before we go on to the next one, any questions about the Episcopal model? By the way, we're not doing this one. Yes? Yes. As a matter of fact, when I first did this and Jim asked me to change it, I had where the congregation is, you can't hardly tell it, but those are little people in the circle. Um, I had, it looked kind of like an amoeba, um, (laughs) because the congregation really doesn't have any identity in this. They, you know, show up, and the rector performs grace for them. And I I should be careful, um, not not everyone that follows an Episcopal model performs grace for people, but definitely in the Roman Catholic Church. So the the congregation doesn't have as much say in that. Um, So we are not following this model. Any others? Oh, appreciate that applause. Thank you. Good. (laughs) 
So then the next one, which hits a little closer to home for us, is the Presbyterian model. And we probably don't hang out a lot um, theologically with Catholics, right? (laughs) But we do have friends, neighbors, brothers, sisters who are Presbyterian. And they follow a close model to the Episcopal model, but it's a little different in that you'll see here. I'll let you get ahead. You didn't see that. Um, The Presbyterian model looks very similar. And let's see how it is similar. You do have the congregations, of course, but instead of a rector in in a Presbyterian church, you will have the elders session. So there are elders who are put in place um, in some press. This is where it gets kind of different. Some Presbyterian churches that comes from the congregation, the elders are placed there. In others, those elders are chosen by the presbytery, which is kind of like your bishop. But you'll notice that the difference is that in the presbytery, there are three people listed there. So each church, rather than having a bishop, each church sends a representative to the presbytery. And they represent the congregations in that organization. So rather than one person calling the shots, there is a group of people calling the shots. But still... While the church congregation may have a little bit more say in a Presbyterian model, things are still controlled by the Presbytery. So in a church discipline situation, for instance, if you are the Christian being disciplined in the church and you don't, you can appeal out above the church to the Presbytery and kind of like in a court system you can appeal that decision that was made and it can be overruled by the Presbytery. And depending on which part of the Presbyterian church you are in, your church may or may not own your land and your property that you are meeting in. So there's a little bit of a difference, but as far as the direction of the church, it goes down from the General Assembly, which is again, Members from the Presbytery, the different ones, then meet for the General Assembly and they decide here's what the whatever Presbyterian church um, organization is, whether it's USA or PCA, um, this, this is our official position. And then that authority goes down from the General Assembly into the Presbytery, down into the elder session and to the congregation. So again, the theological power, authority, flows from a higher level down to the congregation. So that's your Presbyterian model. Questions there? Yes? So are there always three people in the Presbyterian and three representatives in the General Assembly, or is that a large number? Yes, that's... That's rep- this is representative that it splits. There are three congregations, therefore there are three organisms or people, or maybe more than one person, representing the congregation in the, presbyter- in the presbytery. And then from the presbytery, there are multiples of those. So it could be large 
Yes, so the General Assembly could be larger there, but the key is that the authority comes down from there. Yes. That's my understanding. To be honest, I did not study as far on that. That was my assumption because it was logical. Um, but I would have to go back and study that part to see. I'm not Presbyterian, so um, some of this was new to me. Uh, but the main thing here is that the, the power, I don't want to say power, the authority flows down from the General Assembly to the congregation. And these are actually pretty simple. It's You can follow it. And most of the churches who follow an Episcopal model, if you follow the Episcopal model, you're following the Episcopal model. If you're following the Presbyterian model, you're following the Presbyterian model. Um, now we come to the last one. And this is where it goes crazy. The congregational model. Now you see here, there's no hierarchy. There are just these various congregations spread out around. And they could have all kinds of different theological views. There's no connection to them. There are some things that make them very similar, but they can be very, very different. And some of them can have kind of like a mini Episcopal model within their congregation. Uh, There are churches that have multiple sites, right? So you have multiple sites, you have a screen, and everyone comes and they watch the one bishop, if we want to call him that, who speaks. He is the person who is the glue when it comes to all the different locations. And he's the man. But you have multiple congregations, physically separate groups of people. Now, they would say they're all one congregation. But when you think about it practically, they're really different congregations because that's who they do church life with. So that could be in a congregational system. But within that... You could have a Presbyterian kind of model. You could have an Episcopal type of model. You could also have a church like the one that I grew up in where you have, you know, there's the congregation and there's the Pope. You know, it's the congregation doesn't have a lot to say, but the pastor does. So congregationalism, you have to be careful when you talk about it because it can be very different. Take the brethren. You know, they don't have a pastor. You know, how does the spirit move? And who's going to stay up, stand up and give a word? So congregationalism can be all over the board. And that's why we want to make sure you understand what are the Baptist distinctives of congregationalism and where we are going with congregationalism. So when we think about congregational distinctives, I have to be careful here as well, because if you put a big C on congregationalism, you're actually talking about congregationalist, 
which is actually a denomination. So it can get really confusing. When I'm saying congregational, I'm talking about the structure. So what are some of the distinctives? Well, no human outside of the congregation has any authority over the church in regard to beliefs and practices. There is no bishop outside the church. There is no presbytery that is telling the congregation what they are supposed to hold as their beliefs and what is being preached from their pulpit. The congregation is who decides what that is. All members have an equal voice in the governance of the church. There isn't another group outside that tells you how you are going to govern your church. How are you going to set up your constitution? How are you going to do church? The congregation, the local body decides what that's going to be. So those are your two main distinctives about congregational government. So you can see within that, you get to decide, do you want to have a Episcopal light structure of polity within the congregation? The church congregation has to decide what are they going to do with that. Or you can be like the brethren and have nothing. I mean, I'm being kind of facetious on that. Uh, But how are you going to determine your own identity? That is one of the major distinctives of a congregational government. And we'll have more questions, but let's roll through to see how this works out practically. So some practical responsibilities that come with that. And again, these are more Baptistic. When you look back in the history of Baptist, this would be, these would be things that Baptists would be putting forward. So adopt the church's creed and covenant. So for instance, we have a committee that you all agreed for us to go and start looking at different constitutions as we're moving toward um, the type of polity we're going to have in our body. And we come back to you and report to you, here's what we found. We've come up with a new constitution. We've taken it to the deacons, who is our current structure, and they have made adjustments. And now we're bringing it to the congregation, and the congregation looks at it and says, yes, we're going to sign off on this. And the church determines what that creed and covenant is going to be. You have that authority. So if you say no, then it doesn't happen because we are a congregational church. The practical responsibilities is each member recognizes the church's officers. So the officers that are voted in by the body, um, approved by the body, are just that, approved by the body. Uh, As we move to elders, the congregation has the final say on who those elders are going to be. Now, there could be some vetting that takes place in that, so it's not a a free-for-all, and it's not democratic, where, hey, everyone who puts their name in the hat, we're going to vote on all of them. Um, That is part of the responsibility of you and 
the church elders, Jim, myself, and Stephen, to make sure that these are people who meet the qualifications. But once that is done, it is put forward to the body to decide, here are our elders. So the congregation holds that authority. The church approves the budget. As we work through the year and we come up with a budget, we come to the congregation, and the congregation makes the approval of that budget. And I would say they also oversee, and we're working to make that even better, um, each month now as we're getting the report, we're publicly putting it up so you can go, and the first one you see is a very simplistic, are we meeting budget, are we not? Good. If you have questions, you can drill down and get a more complex report, and even down to the category level. So that is your responsibility as a church body to approve that budget, but then also to follow and to ask questions about that budget and to hold the transparency of how our money is being spent. Then I think one of the most important things, because this is where, Jim, I'm certain, is going to be bringing forward the biblical argument for congregationalism. You admit believers into membership. We're going to do that tonight. Um, the deacons and the elders uh, meet with our potential uh, members. We interview them for their uh, testimony, and then we put them forward to the body, and the body votes. Now, have I ever seen a case where we say no? No, because there's no reason not to say yes when someone is a believer that's coming forward um, to join our body. But there have been cases where the next step is needed. And that's, it's easy to bring people into the body. It's a harder thing to have to take them out of the body. But we vote people into the body because that then gives the congregation the ability, the right, to vote them out of the body. So consider that tonight when we are bringing Nick into the body. Remember, you might have to vote him out someday. Um, The point I'm saying is voting someone in is not to be done lightly. Yes, it becomes kind of routine, Because when someone's a believer, yes, we want them to be a part of the body. But when we do that, what we're saying is we're also taking the responsibility that the day may come when we may have to have a hard conversation with the member in our body. And we have to practice this responsibility. So that is the responsibility of the congregation. It's often been said they decide who's in and who's out. Now, does that mean that when you decide they're out, that that person is consigned to eternal damnation? No. But what it does say to that person is, we as a body can't offer you comfort that that isn't where you stand in your heart. Because you're not showing the fruit of a believer. So therefore, we cannot as a body give you confidence that you are a believer. It's up to God whether you are or not, but we can't give you that confidence. 
So with those practical responsibilities in mind, we're going to take a look here at the Subaroad Baptist model. And I've talked with Jim about this, and he agrees. He, he says, yes, this is the way that we are headed. So we have the church, and right now it's a fist because we haven't opened it yet to see the people. Um, but there's this organization that is called the church, the congregation. We don't have a bishop. We don't have an archbishop. The head of Subaroad Baptist Church is Christ. Christ is the head of our church. And that's one of the reasons why, as Congregationalists, we don't have a presbytery. And we don't have um, a, a diocese. We, Jesus is our head. We answer to him. That means every single member answers to Christ. All the church is responsible to obey Christ. That means the person sitting in the pew, the person leading the music, the person preaching from the pulpit, every single person has an equal responsibility to obey Christ. And then all the church chooses from among them elders to spiritually care for members and to direct the affairs of the church. So what you can see here, it doesn't show up very well. It looks great on my iPad. Um, <laughs> is that there are some of these people that you will see, like this guy and there and there and there. They have a little bit of a shadow around them. And that's because they are members of Subaru Baptist Church. They are just like you. But the congregation chooses those people from among them to live among them as elders. And the church gives them responsibilities to carry out the work of the church. So, you know, the whole church doesn't have to come together to vote to go to Kirby to replace our backboard on our basketball goal. By the way, if you didn't know, sanitation truck backed into it, and that's why it's broken. So we're trying to work with them to replace the backboard. The whole congregation does not need to be involved in that. The elders can take care of that. Um, setting the direction of the church. Where, how are we going to go as a church? It is the responsibility of the elders to lead the church. And again, it's not like a bishop. It's not like the pope. I like to think of it, and you military people can straighten me out. I like to think of it as like a second lieutenant. You know, the second lieutenant is in there with the guys carrying the rifles. Is that right? Okay, just want to make sure. But he has to make decisions on the fly. And I'm sure the sergeant is over there rolling his eyes, but it is the responsibility of the second lieutenant to make the decision at the moment. When everything goes against the plan, he has to adopt, adapt and lead his men into battle. The elders are like second lieutenants. We're carrying rifles just like everybody else. Or maybe it's just a side gun. But we are in the trench with the men who are fighting. And that is an elder. That's why we're in the church. There isn't something outside of it. 
is in the church. But the church has chosen these people to spiritually care for the members. And then secondly, and to direct the affairs of the church. And that's where we come to the things about the, black, the backboard or the co- color of the carpet. You're not going to have a church meeting where we're going to come and say, okay, what color are we going to have as the carpet? Let's have a vote. Uh, that's not going to happen. That's going to be determined, and you come and enjoy the carpet. And the elders will be doing the heavy lifting with help from other people who come along um, and helping in that way as well. So the church, the focus of the church is to advance each other in Christ, member-on-member ministry. The elders' job in this, and the reason why you choose the elders to come in from out of the congregation but within the congregation is to help accomplish that goal of member-on-member ministry. That's the main objective for those men that are being brought in in that position. So the Subaru Baptist model is kind of like this. We are an elder led or we will be an elder led congregation we're moving toward a goal and there are men who have been chosen to lead it's not elder rule and that's important to note a lot of times in say the presbyterian model it's an elder rule the elders decide and the congregation they don't have a say with us We are you. (laughs) So the elders, it's our responsibility to convince you as a congregation that this is where we want to go. Just like the second lieutenant running into the fire with you. That is the Subaroad Baptist model. So our church polity is an elder-led congregationalism. That's what we're aiming for in our next constitution that's coming out. Um, So, Q&A, questions? Yes, ma'am. This seems so obvious when you think through New Testament churches. So where in scripture do the other two models come from? Or is it more just human logic and reasoning that it stems from. Did they get those models somehow in scripture? You're asking a congregationalist. Um, (laughs) I am not a church historian, but I think you're hitting on it, that there's the structure. And of course, when you look at, say, um, the Catholic church, why is it that they they look to um, the Pope? Who is the Pope the direct descendant from? From Peter, who they say was the first pope. So they say, here's why our authority follows through. And I think they built that structure and you find scriptural ways to support your idea. But my personal opinion is much of the Episcopal model came out of practical decisions and frankly, holding on to power and authority. 
did the Jerusalem Council play into that at all? I mean, is that... That's where you're going to have to go into a, um, a historian. Jim would be able to answer that much better than me. But yeah, there were... Remember, the Catholic Church wasn't always what we have. And of course, the Jerusalem Council wasn't even Catholic Church um, in that sense. Um, so the Catholic Church was actually, at one point, preaching the gospel. You know, so it, it, was, it morphed over time to become what it is. Um, and so the Jerusalem Council was not structural that we know of. It was, hey, here are the leaders. Let's go back and bring and ask their opinion. They gave their opinion and they went back. Probably it's more like the Southern Baptist Church. Now, Southern, we didn't talk about the Southern Baptists. They look on the outside because they are appear to be a hierarchical denomination. But really, all of their churches are congregational churches. They are autonomous. What happens is they convene and they all voluntarily come together and you have the, they, they will put out these um, positions that they will take during their conference. The churches below them can choose to say, yes, that is our position, or they may choose, nah, we don't agree with that. Because even though they're offering an opinion, the Southern Baptist Church doesn't have the authority. So I think with the Jerusalem Council, it's probably more like that. They came and they said, hey, okay, well, then here's how to handle this. Take this back to the congregations. And the congregations voluntarily carried out what they sent through. Yes? Well, the deacons are in the church, just like the elders are in the church. Pastors are elders. And just like Jim has mentioned, matter of fact, bishop, we talked about bishop. It's actually not a separate thing. It is the pastor. So you've got the shepherds, the pastors, and then you have the bishops, you have the elders. They're all one thing. So that's the elders. Deacons, we'll be talking about that more in the future. But deacons are there, as the Bible says, to bring unity into the body by helping to care for the needs of the body. And then also, they are there to give care and take the burden off of the elders so that they can focus on the preaching and the prayer. So what we will see in our church, how would that look practically, is that you're going to find that we'll have deacons that don't serve as an authority. And frankly, we kind of have right now a, a, a mix of what I would call deacon elders. <laughs> there's there's a, a mix of how our deacons are carrying out their work. And basically what we're doing is we're saying, let's make it more distinct of what an elder does and what a deacon does. So then deacons will move into a role of carrying out ministering in the body. So I'd like to mention we have the service squad. And Jim Nicely, who is a deacon, heads up the service squad. And he does an excellent job heading up 
the service squad. It's a perfect illustration of what a deacon is. Someone who comes along, there's a need in the body that needs to be met, and deacons come along and they work to bring about, to, to remove the friction in the body so that things run smoothly. And then you don't have to come to me and say, Jonathan, the temperature's wrong in whatever building. Okay, there's a deacon who will oversee that and handle those needs that remove the frictions from worship, remove the frictions from us being able to do the body on body work. That's the role of the deacon. Um, does that clarify? So we will still have deacons and we will still have elders, but their roles will be a more distinct. The elders will be focused more on the spiritual care of the membership. The deacons will be focused more on the nuts and bolts and the physical care of the members. Thinking of a, of a, a scenario, if you will, is how you can see the distinction between in an elder-led church with deacons, how that would work. Suppose that the church was going to have a significant missions conference with guest speakers. The function of the elders is to assure that the persons who are going to present to the body are scripturally appropriate, are going to be doing what is correct so that they will be working to assure the spiritual health and security of the body. But it's an important event. The deacons would be the ones that would be making sure that the audiovisual works, that the seating is correct, that a mealtime is worked out. That is how I would see a distinction between the service of elders and the service of deacons. And that takes the nuts and bolts kitchen table duties off the body of the elders that they can focus their, their labors on the spiritual health of the church and the spiritual appropriateness of those things that are brought into the church while the deacons can make sure that the background things that have to happen if they don't happen correctly, if things, the ordinary things don't work, that is also to the detriment of the church. So they work together as a team with different purposes. Yes. And the deacons aren't just left holding the bag. The, the elders are there also to make sure that the deacons have what they need. Um, as the elders present to the church, here's the direction that we want to go as a church. That could include some budget items right so then we have to work with the elder with the deacons of saying okay deacons here's how here's our objective of what we're wanting to accomplish as a body we need your help to come alongside us to do this can you do some research on how how much budget are we going to need for that so it's a working together to bring about that frictionless environment for us to carry out the work i the thing that I'm the most concerned about in all of this is that the role of the deacon loses its importance, that there would be men who would say, well, I'm not an elder. No, 
to be a deacon is so incredibly important. I mean, it is huge. There are only two offices in the Bible, okay? Elder and deacon. God has a reason for deacons. We need good deacons. And some deacons are actually elder material. It's just the church doesn't have a need for that many elders at that time. So a deacon is not a secondary level thing. It's a very important, important role. If the elders just got up and and preached, but then all the seats were turned backwards, and what type of body, what type of congregation will we have? So working together in those things are very important. So please take it from me. Um, deacon role is, is so important in the body. Any other questions about polity? And I, yes, ma'am. We will not have trustees. Trustees will be deacons. So the guys that you have now as trustees, they could just change their name. They're now deacons. Now, as an organization, we have trustees in the fact that the state requires that there are people who hold things in trust. And that would be, um, right now, I think in the Constitution, it is the elders come make up that so if we get sued it's the elders who are are dealing with it so um but that the trustees would become um deacons yes sir Yes. Yeah, because this is under Christ, each individual is responsible for Subaru Baptist Church. When we bring in the elders, I, this is not just a, a nice little graphic. The elders have not changed, right? 
They are just the same people they were before. So every single person in here should be carrying out the work of an elder. The spiritual care for the person that's sitting beside you. It isn't the job of the elder to do that. That is every person's job. The elders are just there, frankly, because they are able to devote more time to helping you carry out that work. But the authority rests with everybody in that circle. There's a reason why the elders aren't outside the circle or at the top of the circle. (laughs) They are in the circle with you because I'm just you. I'm just a member of Subaru Baptist Church that you all chose and said, okay, Jonathan, we want you to devote your time to this. And we are giving you the authority to do that. So my, even anything I do resides in the authority that you've given to me as the congregation. And I would say, I think most people who are in my role, Jim's role, Stephen's role, is we also feel a very high obligation to the crown. That it isn't just you that we feel a very heavy responsibility toward. It is to Christ and more so him. Um, And I'm willing to give up a position to honor him and his crown as my king. Uh, So this is the body that we have. And what we want to happen from here is not a centralization of, of power and authority. What we want to, we want to enthuse and infuse everyone to be a priest, to be a servant of Christ with us. Well, I think we're running out of time. Uh, If there's one more question, I don't want to shut it down. But if not, we have a member to vote in to our body tonight. Any other? Yes, Jim. Just the one addition to what you've been saying. In contrast to like a rector, because I grew up, at least for a little while, in the Methodist church, where the pastor would just be dropped in. Yes. Our elders are being brought up from inside the church. They're not being brought in from outside. And so it's a big difference there because they know, they know the needs. It's not like they're coming in. Yes. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that all elders will always come from inside. I know of a church right now in Greenville. They're looking for a new lead pastor to serve with their elders. And they are looking outside of the church for that. It could come from within, but it could come from outside, especially for that lead pastor position. So um, make sure that's clear. But yes, Jim is correct. Okay, well, let's um, pray for just a second here as we move, and then we'll have a very short business meeting. Father, we thank you for this church, for Subaru Baptist Church. And we are thankful that we are each individually priest. You have given us all that we need individually to know you, to worship you, 
the authority comes from you. But in all of that, we know that you have chosen for us as individuals to come together as a body. And while we can know you, we can worship you individually. You have chosen for a church, your body, your congregation, to be the way you want to be worshipped in this world. We are, as a church, your representatives. I pray that you would help us understand our authority that you have given us and that we would work together to carry out the work that you have called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.